0: Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Luke chapter 2, beginning with the fourth verse, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David David was actually born in Bethlehem and um, he herded sheep in this area and Mary at this time if you read a little further we're not going to read it all today the Bible says she was heavy with child so she was very very pregnant but nonetheless she was compelled to take a trip that really was just a little bit over a hundred miles or so And sometimes fulfilling the will of God in our lives will not be convenient. And then the Bible goes on to explain the reason for the trip because Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David. Actually, it's likely that both David and Mary were descendants of David, but through different family lines. Let's skip to verse 8. Now there were in the same country or same region of Bethlehem shepherds. This is important because the Mishnah, which is the Jewish uh, uh, traditions, records that in this area, the sacrificial sheep were pastored and housed. And it's interesting that the place Christ was born is this area near Migdal where the sacred flocks feed every detail of the master's life has great meaning and significance john makes this statement in 21 and verse 25 in the book of john he says you know what i've I've confined this book to 21 chapters but there also were many other things that jesus did god had to limit what was recorded in our scripture otherwise the bible would become impossible it would be something that none of us could ever really read through or or grasp and there are also many other things that jesus did which if they were written one by one if the scripture enlarged upon every detail i would be out of my job and he says i suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written no library would be big enough you could not carry your bible into church there there wouldn't be a computer large enough to store the record of all that was accomplished in the life of our jesus so every word in the bible is very intentional God put some things in, left some things out, and the reason he did, he, he made sure that the things we absolutely needed to know were there, and then he assigned people like, like you and I to research and, and, and to get greater understanding of the things that were written. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Now they were in that same region of country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. This is why we sing silent night and holy night and and those songs because of, of god's visitation to these shepherds and behold an angel of the lord stood before them now it's interesting that god would select shepherds shepherds were not respected at all in jewish culture and society in fact in a court of law if you were a shepherd your testimony would not be accepted that's how low, if you will, or lowly, the the, the shepherds were were viewed in, in Scripture. But these shepherds, according to the text, actually were not ordinary shepherds. Because of the location where they pastored, the first generation understood exactly who this passage was referencing. These were shepherds. These were unusual shepherds. These were shepherds that operated under rabbinic authority, and they were charged with both identifying and nurturing sacrificial animals. Every year, uh, a sacrificial lamb was was raised, the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb was raised in this flock. Leviticus 22 and 19 tells us a little bit about these sacrificial animals. That these men shepherded it says you shall offer of your own free will a male without what blemish these cattle these goats these sheeps were all without blemish they were extraordinary animals and they were bred only to point to the coming messiah and then it says whatever has a defect you shall not offer Meaning a defective or a a blemished animal was never offered on the altar. In fact, in Malachi, God reproved the people for doing so. So if Jesus is the lamb of God, he was the first man since Adam to have no blemish, no defect. He had not one mole, he didn't have one crooked tooth. Jesus' eyes were perfectly clear, nothing missing, nothing broken, everything proportioned, perfectly matched. Jesus was extraordinary in every single way. There was nothing average about the Passover lamb, and there was nothing average about our Jesus. John 1 and 29. Because we know of the birth of John the Baptist, we know that his daddy was a priest. And priest's children were raised, uh, lots of different discipline, lots of study, and they would watch their daddies as they would tend to the affairs of the temple. John the Baptist grew up in such a home, he was the son of a priest, and because of it, he specialized... In, in issues as it relates to sacrificial animals. Because if, if you brought an animal to a priest that was not approved, they would reject you. So, so these priests understood and, and really paid attention to uh, which animals were accepted. Listen to John 1 and 29. The next day, John saw, and the Bible says saw there for a reason, Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, not just any animal, But the Pascal lamb, this is the most perfect unblemished animal in the whole nation given for atonement. Jesus was an absolutely beautiful man. John Luke 2 and 52 tells us even more. The scripture says in Jesus, now Matthew was written to the Jewish people luke was written primarily to the hellenized world the the roman and greek world and the roman and greek world if you look at the statues and all that that type of stuff you see that they were very into uh human beings anatomy and the rest so it's not surprising that luke wrote this in his gospel it says in jesus increased in wisdom and stature and it's a statement that really doesn't need to be in the Bible because, of course, you say, "Well, if all it means is Jesus grew," I mean, of course, he grew. He was a baby and he grew into a man. But it uses interesting language. It says he increased in wisdom and what stature, meaning the master matured in every way. This verse actually hints at the idea that Christ might have been just a little bit taller. And maybe just a little bit better built than average, because it talks about how he grew physically and also his intellect and wisdom and in favor with God and men, meaning Jesus was attractive and winsome in every way. People liked Jesus. He was he was the type of guy you wanted to be around. He was the type of guy you wanted to know. God only gave us his very, very best. Let's go to Isaiah 53, because I've even heard pastors say that Jesus was just an ordinary man, but we don't see this in Isaiah. In verse 2, it says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Jesus was young and strapping. A little plant that just breaks through the ground it, it, it is beautiful the sapling plants are, are strong and and wiry but as we read on we discover that something happened at first he was this tender plant but then as a root out of dry ground all of a sudden, is a picture of an ugly root appearing, which, which has no beauty or or comely. There's nothing that would attract us to it. And what it's speaking of is, is the moment where God placed our sins on Christ on the cross. And when that happened, actually, darkness came upon the the whole land. And I think what happened to Jesus was just too hard for anyone to look at. So God had to dim the lights, lest people began to just be absolutely overwhelmed. When he was on that cross and the sins of the world were laid upon him, I believe his face became swollen, distorted. He was absolutely unrecognized. The beautiful man was unrecognizable to any who had ever known him, not just because of the beating. But because of the sin of the world that was placed on him, if you saw the movie Rocky and at the end he could barely see through his eyes, you'd have to combine the elephant man, Rocky, and some things we've not imagined. To get a picture of what Jesus looked like on that cross remember the soldiers took turn punching him in his face remember he was beaten with the cat of nine tails and, and those things wrap around your body and would sometimes pull off parts of your face as well and, and then on top of that every sin that had ever been committed had been laid on him and that's why he said my God my God why hast thou forsaken me because he was bearing the sin of the world and sin impacts you and emotionally, I mean, he was feeling some stuff and it was showing up on his face and it was the most gruesome sight ever. But the, the, the interest, the, the thing that makes it so incredible was the contrast. He was such a beautiful man. And then suddenly, like a, group, a root out of dry ground, it says he has no form or comeliness. And he's saying something happened to this beautiful man. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should any longer desire him. There was nothing beautiful about Jesus on that cross. It was gruesome in every way and in every detail. But here's what we see in Scripture. God gave us his best that he might redeem the worst in each of us. Luke 2 and 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I understand that. These men were out there, it was nighttime, and they were watching, making sure thieves. These were the most beautiful and most valued animals in the entire land. And there were thieves out there that would come and try to steal, uh, the flock. There were wolves out there, et cetera. So, so, you know, of course, they, they established their perimeter and everyone's, you know, bent down and they had a few maybe up watching at night and maybe they took turns. But suddenly, out of, out of nowhere, this, this, this big old shiny man shows up in the midst of them. And of course, the shepherds were frightened. It made no sense. How did this happen? Where did you, Come from, And they didn't know whether to, to, to fight or flight. They didn't know exactly what to do with this situation. In verse 10, the angel spoke quickly. He said, do not be afraid. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not, not trying to harm you. I need to show you something. For behold, I need you to look at something. I bring you good tidings or good news. The term there for tiding is Evangelion, where we get the word evangelists or, or evangelism or evangelical. And true evangelicalism, if you will, always brings good news, always has a message of good tidings to our sin-weary world. He says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. If the gospel you hear every Sunday or most Sundays is a gospel that that makes you sad and and, and makes you upset, you're not hearing the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. In fact, it's almost too good to be true when you hear the gospel. Yes, there'll be times when you you cry and repent. There'll be times when you're corrected and and reproved. But ultimately, the good news is that God can forgive you and God's going to fix that thing. That's the good news of the gospel. Verse 11, for there is born to you this day, no longer is the the, the coming of the Messiah in the future, this day in the city of David, a Savior. Not a man who would become a Savior, not a man who would aspire to be a Savior, but a man that was divinely born with saving grace running through his veins. City of David, a savior who is the Christ. The office of the Christ represented king, priest, and prophet. Jesus was the prophet prophesied by Moses. He was the priest of the Melchizedek order prophesied by David. And he was also the king on whom uh, Isaiah 9 and verse 6 said, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Jesus was the absolute Christ, but he didn't stop there. Who is Christ, the Lord. This was no ordinary baby, but he was the Lord Jehovah himself. They were afraid to say the name Yahweh. So instead of saying Yahweh, they would call him Lord And what the angel declares that the Messiah is Yahweh or the Lord himself. And then verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why would this be a sign? Almost all babies were swaddled when they were born. How is this? a sign unless Jesus or less, forgive me, the angel was speaking in a language that only these shepherds could really appreciate and understand. Verse 12. And this will be a sign to you shepherds. You see, once a sheep was born, It was the job of these men to thoroughly inspect each sheep. And if it was unblemished, if it was perfect, if it was balanced, if it was proportioned, they would determine whether or not it was fit for sacrifice. If it was fit for sacrifice, they would immediately swaddle the lamb. Separate it from the flock to keep it safe, lest it become injured in its innocent state. He said, and this will be a sign to you. You will find not a sheep, but a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger Now, Erisham, he was a Jew converted to Christianity. He spoke about these things in the 1800s, and that's where we get much of this, this insight. But I'm going to enlarge upon a little bit of license here. I don't know if this is true, but this is my guess. My guess is that after they swaddled the sheep they inspected, And they saw it was unblemished, it was perfect, it was proportional. After they swallowed it, they did the same thing Mary's mother did. I'm sorry, Jesus' mother did. Why did she put it in the feeding trout to protect it? There were animals there. There was hay all over the place. So she put it in a safe place. My guess is that often when they swaddled one of those Pascal lambs, a a, a lamb appointed for sacrifice, they would swallow it and put it in the same place. They would put it in a feeding trough. And when they said, this will be a sign to you, these men understood exactly what was being said. And suddenly in verse 13 there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts when the angels heard this they immediately all of heaven that they understood the significance of it and they had a holy ghost fit heaven and earth just began to shout glory to god in the highest in excelsis deal you see the, the 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 mystery of the ages was finally revealed And they begin to shout and sing. He said, glory to God that would visit man in such a way. Yeah. That, you know, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro the other. He's looking for, for someone to show himself strong, but the sad part was he couldn't find nobody. So he said, I myself will come in the volume of the book written about me. I will become that perfect man. I will become everything that every prophet and every individual, every human being could not be until my time. He said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, God's mad at folk. Goodwill toward men. The notion that God is against you is the biggest lie you ever let the devil tell you. God only has goodwill. God cares. He, he loves you. He, while you're yet a sinner, he, he sought you out. 2 Peter 3 and 9. Peter has to correct his church because they were getting impatient about the return of the Lord. And he said, listen, guys, the Lord is not slack. God's not slow. He's not indifferent about his coming. He's not indifferent about his promise to us as some would, would count slackness. You know, God's not unenthusiastic. Don't, don't, don't start charging God falsely here. But instead, God is long-suffering toward us. And what he's saying in this passage is the reason the master has not returned yet has nothing to do with, with a lack of divine enthusiasm or desire. God is just waiting for that last child to turn to him. Amen. It goes on to say, this is important. God is not willing that any, all of us are part of that any, should perish, but that all... Every single one of us should come to repentance. God is pulling for each person in this room, and his midnight train to glory will not take off until the final passenger is on board. Are you hearing me? And you could be that last person today. Luke 2 and 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, they had a party, man. And the angels, they look at each other, man, what just happened? And they said, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord, I, I got to see this. The Lord has made known to us. See, when God really shows up in your life, you'll do whatever it takes to find out more. People won't have to drag you to church. You want to be there, because you want to find out more about this Savior. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.